Hi, I'm Chloe Wachter, and you're listening to JP Morgan's Market Matters. In this podcast, we will cover global equities market structure trends in Q3 2021. Today, we'll be spending some time focusing on European regulatory cycles, specifically discussing the UK's recent wholesale markets review and the potential divergence in how the UK manages equities markets in a post-Brexit world. Also, from a regulatory perspective, we'll pivot over to Asia and cover the executive order and its impact on China equities. While Asia has always had a relatively high level of retail turnover, we continue to see elevated retail activity in the region. And moreover, the summer months saw continued increased retail activity in U.S. equities. So we'll spend some time today discussing how this trend is evolving in both Asia and the U.S., as well as how the SEC is exploring addressing retail trading. Joining us in this session, we have some senior members of our global equities team. Alex Gorodetsky, head of America's liquidity products and equities market structure. Chris Andrew, head of EMEA market structure. And Simon Wade, head of APAC Global Liquidity Solutions. Welcome to you all. So let's dive right in. Alex, Chris, and Simon, could I please ask each of you to provide us with an update on the key market structure happenings in your respective regions over the past quarter? Chris, let's start with what's going on in Europe. Hi, Clay. So here in Europe, we are in the middle of a couple of regulatory cycles, which could affect the way that equity markets work in the future. Now, thankfully, the summer markets tend to provide a bit of a lull in the flow of incoming consultation papers and reports. So we've just been trying to take stock a little and trying to bring all those pieces together, just so we've got a good sense of where we are, because I think we're about to go into some fairly critical months ahead. Right. So to be specific, which regulatory cycles are you looking at at the moment? Historically, we've been most concerned with EU rulemaking, and that was reasonably complicated to follow in itself because of the long political process required to reach a consensus amongst EU members. If you think about the way this works, the Commission comes up with a proposal, and then over the course potentially of multiple years, EU member states and members of the European Parliament will make counter-proposals and will debate, and eventually, through a long process called trialogue, they reach a position that everybody is, is happy with. Now, with the UK leaving the EU, that part hasn't really changed, but now we have to keep track of UK rulemaking as an independent process. And that's brought the prospect that the EU and the UK rules might diverge over time. We also think that UK rulemaking will be taking place a little more quickly now that they don't have to negotiate with EU member states. And the UK recently published a consultation on its Wholesale Markets Review, or WMR. Does that tell us anything about how UK rules might diverge? Yes. I think it gives us a good sense of how the UK is thinking about markets policy after Brexit. And a lot of things have also been fairly well signalled by courses of action that the FCA took under the temporary transitional powers granted after Brexit. Now, people will talk about divergence, and we've even talked about divergence ourselves. But I think in reality, the majority of the proposals that we see in the WMR really represent just a recalibration of the regime according to UK preferences, rather than any major divergence of the actual framework of the rules. Right. And could you be more specific about where you see the UK recalibrating in equities markets? Well, I think the changes that we're seeing are fairly natural, given that the UK is now making rules independently. On the back of the research and thematic work that they've done in recent years, the UK is inclined to be less prescriptive in terms of transparency issues than the EU. And if you recall the EU double volume caps, for instance, 
These automatically restrict the proportion of trading in an individual share that can be done in dark pools to 8% overall and 4% for an individual venue. Now, in the UK Wholesale Markets Review, the UK proposes to remove the double volume caps completely and goes on to describe them as well-intentioned but not based in evidence. To be clear, though, even though the WMR plans to remove the caps, it also makes it clear that the FCA is expected to monitor market quality and intervene as it sees fit. It sounds like the Treasury is delegating more power to the FCA to manage market quality rather than creating specific rules around it. Do you think we will see the same approach in other areas? I think that's definitely true. In fact, the ministerial forward is quite explicit about the intention to make regulation more agile and to give it more space for expert judgment. Another area where the FCA might use its expertise is in the calibration of post-trade deferrals. I think, for instance, these could be improved by paying attention to the deferral thresholds for less liquid shares. Here, I think they could potentially loosen the thresholds, and that would make it easier for market makers to provide liquidity in those shares and provide access for investors. And there's one more area where we might expect the FCA to get involved, and that's in improving market resilience. There have been a number of outages in European markets in recent years, and the problem there has been that when the main market suffers an outage, Trading hasn't really continued, even though there are other markets up and running. And WMR proposes that the UK authorities will work with industry to get together a playbook aimed at ensuring that trading carries on, even when the main market fails. And I think a lot of that burden will will rest with the FCA. Thanks so much, Chris. We'll circle over to Simon for a sense of what's been top of mind in markets across Asia more recently. So, Simon, we've observed elevated volumes in Asia over the course of the year. Can you comment a bit on this and what you think is driving the activity? Hi, Chloe. Absolutely. Indeed, elevated volumes has really been the theme for the year throughout Asia. Uh, Many markets having record years in terms of turnover, and and, and that's in the context that last year was also a record-setting year in its own right. So, if I look back at the year, it started with a pace with the executive order index deletions through January and February. And then more recently, on June 3rd, President Biden signed the new executive order, replacing and expanding the original. And on August 2nd, this new order with its broader list of companies came into effect. So this, in conjunction with the significant macro backdrop, really has driven volumes across APAC since June through to September. If we look at China specifically, September onshore turnover averaged $216 billion a day. And that's a five-year high, up 5% month-on-month from August, which itself was up 19% from June. So year-to-date turnover in China onshore stands at 165 billion a day on average, which is up 31% versus the 2020 average. Thanks. As we highlighted in the intro, retail growth was really one of the biggest stories of 2020 and really has remained a key topic well into Q3 2021. Where in Asia have we seen this spike in activity and what do you think are the main drivers? So yeah, 100%. China has always been a large retail market with approximately 80% of volume being traded by retail investors. But this has also grown throughout the rest of APAC over this year. The first retail hotspot was Korea in Q2, where retail activity spiked to around 75% of turnover. We then saw similar trends in Taiwan over the past few months. And then more recently, retail volume spikes up to above 50% in markets like Thailand and Indonesia. One observation on this activity is that while it has been driven by retail, the other side of the trade really has been very closely matched by a significant increase in quant activity as well. So I would say this really has been a retail versus quant dominating the flows story. Impact 
for the broader international investor listening to this call, I think firstly, these elevated volumes have really led to an increase in the investable scope for a lot of our clients in these markets. So more names are now meeting those portfolio thresholds. And then secondly, I think the, the heightened activity in retail and quant flows has also changed the microstructure of these markets, which has meant that our algos have had to utilize their adaptive components somewhat more than, than they would normally in these ever-changing order book dynamics and, and volumes. And Simon, there's been quite a bit of market structure-related news in Asia lately. Could you share some of the headlines, please? Correct. Yeah, I mean, it, it seems to never stop. But um, in, in recent weeks, we had uh, Hong Kong and China both grabbing the headlines from a market structure standpoint, as well as on a macro level. Firstly, effective August 1st was the stamp duty increases from 10 to 13 bips in Hong Kong. Now, considering other fees in the market, that now makes it a total round trip cost of roughly 27 basis points. So even with this 30% increase, though, given the macro landscape, Hong Kong turnover has remained robust. But longer term, we do expect these increases in stamp to have an effect on volumes. In addition to the stamp increases on August 10th, the SFC confirmed plans to implement investor IDs in the form of BCANs within Hong Kong, second half of 2022. Now, there's still a number of questions to be answered on this topic, and we've been working closely with ASIFA and other industry groups to gain further clarification on, on the processes around give-ups and other important items. This is something our international car should keep in mind. On that, I would say that both of these changes have led to an increase in client inquiries for information on trading Hong Kong on swap. The main drivers for these conversations being cost management and exploring the efficiencies available to clients when trading on swap. Thanks, Simon. Quite a bit going on across multiple dimensions in Asia. So lastly, we'll circle over to Alex for a sense of what's been top of mind in the U.S. recently. So Alex, we can't speak about the U.S. without mentioning retail. What's the latest there from both a volumes perspective as well as regulatory-wise? Thanks, Glory. Yes, we certainly can't speak about the U.S. market over the last 18 months or so since really the pandemic, the COVID pandemic started perhaps a little bit later in last year without touching upon retail. And retail continues to be top of mind for many investors, for many traders in the market. We have seen a slight reduction in the amount, the amount of retail activity, kind of basing that off of the off-exchange activity that we've seen. In the last quarter, the off-exchange TRF market share was just over 42%, which is elevated compared to historical terms pre-COVID pandemic, but certainly down compared to the last three prior quarters. We continue to see the retail activity being elevated, though, It has toned down from the heights that we saw at the end of last year and then certainly the first quarter of this year. And the retail activity that we saw this year, especially in January with the meme stocks, has been a driving factor around the regulatory action that's going to come potentially with retail. And so SEC Chairman Gary Gensler continues to speak about potential conflicts of interest around payment for order flow. And he's acknowledged, quote unquote, that banning the practice is on the table. So we see action potentially coming from the SEC, but we've also seen potential action coming from the U.S. House of Representatives. The House Financial Services Committee there passed the Order Flow Improvement Act, which is uh, now directing the SEC to study the impact of payment for order flow. What the U.S. House of Representatives Financial Services Committee passed is a study. What it doesn't do is outright ban the practice of payment for order flow, which is what the original draft of the bill sought to do. Lastly. We see that the SEC is soliciting information around gamification of digital retail trading. And that's certainly a fallout from the events that we saw in January. Right. So earlier in the podcast, 
Chris spoke a bit about recalibrating in Europe. So in that same vein, can you speak to recent comments from SEC Chairman Gary Gensler regarding revisiting regulation NMS? Yes, Reg NMS has been around for 16 years. And so I think especially the events of this past January have brought a number of the underlying drivers of Reg NMS into question, as well as other aspects of Reg NMS. I think while retail really drives around payment for order flow, off-exchange trading, there are other aspects of Reg NMS that may be warrant revisiting, such as tick size increments and trading behavior. And so I think what we've seen is Chairman Gensler instructing his staff to review two key questions around Reg NMS. The first is, how does the SEC facilitate greater competition and efficiency on an order-by-order basis? And then second is, how does the SEC address financial conflicts in the market? So I think those are two broad questions that are really going to help drive the SEC's review of potentially updating Reg NMS. Right. So aside from retail, what else are the key market structure themes that are going on in the U.S. right now? So one of the big themes we're tracking and continuing to track is the market data governance plan and infrastructure rules. Both of those were approved last year under former SEC Chairman Jay Clayton. And in this past August, the SEC approved the final version of the NMS plan regarding consolidated equity market data, or what we dubbed the governance plan. We're now seeing the NMS governance plan moving forward. And so the plan consolidates the three current plans that we have into one. It's also introducing voting membership, representation for kind of industry members, as well as seeking to really address the conflicts of interest that happen between the SIP processors that run the SIP feeds, as well as potentially running their own competing exchange proprietary feeds. So because the rule now was approved this past August, we will see that move forward. The one constraint there potentially is that a prior lawsuit was dismissed by the U.S. Court of Appeals because the rule was not final. Now that the rule has been finalized by the SEC, we may see a a subsequent challenge in the courts again by the exchanges. So that may draw this one out. And then further along with the market data around the infrastructure rules, we're continuing to see that move forward with the first piece of that coming out shortly around the uh, fee amendments that the different exchanges will have to file around the potential pricing for the new set feeds. In the dark pool space, I think we've seen both new launches and mergers recently. From a new launch perspective, we've seen PureStream go live this past quarter. And then from the merger side, we've seen Level and Luminex announce a merger, bringing together a historically sell-side firm, sell-side ATS, and a historically buy-side ATS together under one broker-dealer. And that will potentially have the opportunity to unlock additional liquidity for brokers such as ourselves. Lastly, among the exchanges, we're continuing to see both order type innovation and advocacy. We've seen recently Memex come out vocal around tick-constrained securities. That's something that SIBO and NASDAQ have also talked about in recent years and potentially could be under the kind of the review that SEC Chairman Gensler is doing with NMS. On the order type innovation, we continue to see exchanges introduce midpoint liquidity for retail orders hoping to capture some of that increased retail trading that we continue to see in the market. Thanks so much, Alex. So now that we're in Q4, what's next for each region? What are we anticipating? So Chris, let me come back to you to comment on Europe. At the beginning of the podcast, you shared details on how you envision the UK recalibrating in equities markets. What do you envision for the EU? And when do you think some of these new rules might come into force? 
Well, although I said we have a reasonable view of how the UK plans to operate, we're really less certain of the approach to regulation that the EU is going to take in this current regulatory cycle. And although we've got some proposals from ESMA, which are inputs to the next round of rulemaking, it's difficult to know how much significance to place on these without more of a sense of the political and strategic direction that the EU wants to take. MIFID 1 was all about liberalisation and facilitating cross-border trade and financial services. And MIFID 2 carried this on to some extent, but in the aftermath of the financial crisis, it naturally came with a much greater focus on control and transparency. So the real question in my mind is whether the next round of rulemaking is going to be more like MIFID 1 or more like a continuation of MIFID 2. And I think the first time we're going to get any real sense of the direction of travel is when the Commission publishes its draft legislation, either towards the back end of this year or maybe in early 2022. And just regarding timing, I think it's a really good question. I said at the beginning that I thought the UK rulemaking would be a bit speedier outside of the EU. So whereas we might expect some of the proposals under consultation in the UK to come to fruition in the next year or two, it's more likely to take four or five years for the next set of EU rules to come into force. So a bit of a wait and see. Thanks so much, Chris. Let's shift over to Simon in Asia. What are you taking stock on over the next couple of months? Sure. Thanks, Chloe. And there's a couple of events which we're really closely monitoring out here. The first one of those was the announcement on September 2nd by President Xi Jinping of the new Beijing Stock Exchange. Now, there's no timeline at this stage for the launch yet, but expectations are that the new exchange will be similar to the STAR and the Chinex boards. And it's certainly an exciting development that we and our colleagues onshore in Shanghai are keeping a very close eye on. Also, from an internal perspective, in August, we received approval from the CSRC allowing JP Morgan to take 100% ownership of JP Morgan Securities China, becoming the first foreign bank to fully own the securities venture in China. Now, the reason I mention that is that over the past year, we have seen a significant increase in the number of investors trading China on QFI benefiting from that broader range of investable stocks and avoiding the public holiday restrictions that come with trading China via Connect. So with that, I strongly encourage clients to reach out to us direct if they're looking to make additions or changes to their current China trading profile. The last point I'd like to make outside of China, and there's still a lot going on outside of China as well, and the one item I think worth highlighting is the proposed move in India to T plus one settlement. So on September 7th, SEBI published a circular allowing exchanges to choose between T plus one or T plus two settlement cycles. That circular will be effective on January 1st, 2022. So there is a potential for settlement changes at the NSE and the BSE at the beginning of next year. We've had a number of questions raised by clients globally on the suitability of the proposal for overseas investors. Just last week on the 30th of September, the SIFMA, with two other buy-side associations, issued an open letter to SEBI asking for a public consultation with the industry and a delay in the implementation. So this is a, this is a big story, and we're keeping a very close eye on that and many other items through year-end. And for the U.S., Alex, what are you seeing coming for Q4? I think the biggest thing that we're going to look for in Q4 is what SEC Chairman Gary Gensler is going to do around the different initiatives that he's spoken about, specifically, obviously, retail trading, payment for order flow, potentially off-exchange trading in the retail space, potentially even T plus one settlement that he's spoken about. I think there's a number of factors that the events of this year around retail trading have brought to light around Reagan MS and the current market structure. And I think Q4 will certainly highlight which of those 
the SEC is going to focus on. I think the first one we're going to see happen is around enhancements to our execution quality transparency, specifically Rule 605 and perhaps Rule 606. 605 is around execution transparency on the venue side. And I think we're going to see an attempt to modernize and update some of those existing rules that are in place to reflect the current market structure, specifically around items like odd lot orders, given the prevalence of those in the market today. I think in addition to changes to Rule 605, we may see updates to Rule 606, which is on the order routing side. And those may incorporate changes to include execution transparency and execution performance. And that will help provide clarity around some of the retail order flow and the impact of using different brokers and how their execution quality compares. That brings us to the end of the podcast. Thank you all for joining me. It's been terrific to hear your perspectives. And thank you to our listeners. If you've enjoyed today's episode, please subscribe to the JP Morgan Market Matters podcast available on all platforms. We'd like to hear your thoughts. So please do feel free to leave us some feedback. This podcast is intended for institutional clients only, and the views expressed in this podcast may not necessarily reflect the views of JP Morgan Chase and & Company and its affiliates, together JP Morgan, and do not constitute research or recommendation, advice or an offer or solicitation to buy or sell any security or financial instrument. Reference products and services in this podcast may not be suitable for you and may not be available in all jurisdictions. JP Morgan may make markets and trade as principal in securities and other asset classes and financial products that may have been discussed. For additional disclaimers and regulatory disclosures, please visit www.jpmorgan.com forward slash disclosures. Thank you.